You know, we, we started uh, singing, um, Jesus loves me, this I know. Some of you might have thought, that's cute. That's a cute song. That's a children's song. That's not a children's song at all. Uh, this past week, I was teaching down in Naples. I told you I was going to Naples. And um, uh, we were with um, men the age of 21 to 35. A majority of them are actually graduates of Ivy League schools, uh, pretty bright people, and uh, we close those meetings every time we have them with Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I asked uh, Richard if he would uh, uh, include uh, the love of God in our worship, and we just sang that. And I can remember when I was in high school and heard it for the first time, and especially that verse, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Isn't that quite a picture? And every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. Do you believe this? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, even if it was as big as the sky? That is what we are looking at in preaching about uh, uh, this morning, and so I will invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. It says verses 35 and following, but I'm actually going to start reading uh, with verse 31. This is the Word of God. What then should we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us respond to the reading of God's Word together. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Father, as we come before you to study your Word now, it's my desire that we would not only know about your love for us. That's great but that we would experience it, and that's greater. So that's what I pray for this morning, that your Holy Spirit will come and attend to your word. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. When I was first married, I remember it was 21, I was age of 21, and just got married, and I was thinking, boy, this is really great. I mean, wow, you know, married. Uh, to the one I loved. So I began telling her, I love you. 
And gosh, every time I turned around, I was saying, I love you. And then I began to worry about that, you know. Maybe she's going to get tired of hearing it. Or maybe it will just get old, you know, and, and kind of lose its impact. Um, I wondered maybe if I should back off a little bit. So I began to think about that. I thought, how am I going to decide, you know, whether I'm too much or too little here? And uh, I thought maybe I'd ask her. But then I thought, no, that's not a good idea. I'll just think about it a little bit more. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought of this. You know, she tells me often that she loves me. And every time she says it, I love it even more. It doesn't get old. It, 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 it's not something that I wish you'd slow down with. You know, come on, pick it up. <laughs> and now that I'm 81 and married to Sandy, guess what? I even like it more. And I believe that's because we were created by a God who's a lover, and this God wants us to know how much he loves us. If he didn't, it wouldn't be all over the Bible like it is. You'd be surprised if you begin to study the Scriptures. and You don't have to just go to the New Testament. You can go to the Old Testament as well. And you begin to study about the love of God, you will begin to find that God never gets tired of telling you He loves you. And you shouldn't get tired of Him telling you either. And as He tells us, don't we love Him more? Jude 1.21 Keep yourself in God's love. Psalm 36, 7. How priceless is your unfailing love to us, O God. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. God did not choose you because you were great. In fact, you weren't. You were smaller than most of the tribes. God called you to be his people for one reason. He loves you. John, I'm not even going to start quoting from John because you'd... There wouldn't be enough time here this morning. That's all John has to talk about. At least that's what Kittle's Theological Dictionary says. John, when he got old and he didn't remember much, uh, that he just kept babbling, God loves me, God loves me. Um, and uh, finally, you remember uh, uh, the last sermon I preached here uh, two weeks ago. Uh, it was Romans uh, 5. We were preaching on the gospel, if you remember that. And it talks there about the fact that we have peace with God because we're justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says that not only that, but even when we suffer, that suffering produces patience, patience, endurance, endurance uh, creates character, and create, uh, character creates hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's Spirit pours out God's love into our hearts. So, it's my belief, if you don't get this, you are going to starve yourself spiritually. That in many ways, this is where you've got to begin. You know, uh, last fall when I was preaching, I was off a week because I went sailing. And I've uh, been sailing now for 35 years, and I go with a bunch of preachers. And uh, I'm in charge of the devotions, so during the devotions on the boat, this time, I asked a very simple question. What is the most important thing you know? And one of the men on the boat is, well, first of all, he has a Scottish accent. 
something I've prayed for, but so far it hasn't happened. <laughs> and I happen to know that he's quite a student of the confession of faith and loves to talk about the confession and teach about the confession. And so when he answered that question, what's the most important thing you know, I wondered what he would say. And in a way, I was shocked because he just said, God loves me. That's the most important thing. I thought he was right, but he surprised me. Because some people think if you talk about God's love too much, it's all fluff and no stuff. I've heard that said. If you talk about God's love too much, it's all fluff and no stuff. And I would say, no, no, if you don't, talk about God's love, you don't have any stuff. Because that's the foundation. That's where it begins. The scriptures teach us God is love. God created us out of love. And God has saved us because of love. You see, um, there's a reason why human beings run on high-octane love. I mean, you want to damage a child, you know, don't love them. You know that. Uh, You can give them everything. Suppose you're wealthy and you can give them everything they ever wanted. They never have to ask for anything. It's just there. That doesn't help a child. That can, can actually damage a child. But I'll tell you what. The thing that child needs more than anything else is to know that you love them. And there's a reason for that. Because we are created by the God of love. God is love. That's what the scriptures tell us. So I don't need to tell you how important love is. You go to movies. You read books. You listen to music. Everything's about love, right? How many of you read War and Peace? Probably no, but well, hey, good. Wow. I tried. (laughs) Well, some of those long harangues, you know, about the politics going on during that time kind of got me. But nevertheless, war and peace is not about war and peace. It's a love story that is told with the background of sometimes war and sometimes peace. And there wouldn't be any story if it wasn't for the fact of the love angle within that great book. That's true, by the way, also, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Uh, That's true of Westerns, too. Um, I read a lot of Westerns, and I like Western movies. But, but you know, if you read a Western, you know how it goes. Uh, there's a desperado, there's a bad man, and he's taken over the town. Every town is taken over by these bad people. And a young man, kind of wiry, but he's got broad shoulders, even if he's wiry. And he rides in, usually on a white horse, and you know he's going to clean this, the thing up. But by the third page, she comes out of the saloon. (laughs) And he spots her, and she spots him. And that's an important part of the story. There would be no Western without it. Western is not about horses and six-shooters. It's about him and her. I can tell you why. Because God is a God of love and he has created this world and that is the kind of world we live in and we live by high-octane love. 
So first, and this is important, this is who God is. When you look at our text, especially the last uh, few verses of our text, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that is? That is the conclusion to the greatest theological passage in all of the Bible, and I would say the greatest theological passage in any book. That's right. The next three chapters are talking about Jews and Gentiles, and the last five chapters are the application to the theological discourse in the first eight chapters. But the conclusion of the greatest theological dissertation in all of Scripture is God loves us. Now, I ask you this question, why? I mean, there's talking about the fall, we're talking about the fact that God loved us while we were still sinners. It talks about the fact that we've been baptized in Christ. It talks about the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. It talks about living in the Spirit. All of that, why would the conclusion be God loves you? I'll tell you why. Because every one of those other things is built on the foundation that God loves you. If he doesn't love you, none of the rest of that counts. You see, that's why that is the conclusion um, that, that nothing in all, in all of creation uh, would exist if it wasn't for the fact that God loves us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, we're told by John, God is love, those three words. And I think it's significant that he tells us twice. Uh, using the Bible, when it's repeated, it's because of emphasis and here it is in 8 and 16. By the way, that's easy to remember because 16 is a multiple of 8, so you'll be able to remember that now. You'll never forget that. 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. And this needs to be the air that you breathe as a Christian. I'm surprised when people want to back away from God's love. Burkhoff, uh, a man that I admire, and I've got all of his three uh, different theological works, in my library, and I look at them often, especially the manual on theology, but Burkhoff makes this statement, and I don't agree with him. You can make too much of God's love. And A.W. Tozer, another man I like a lot, says the very same thing, and I disagree with him as well. The reason I disagree is, as I already said, it's all over the Bible. So if it's all over the Bible, how can you make too much of it? I'm not going to say it's the most important attribute of God. You know, if Calvin were here, he would tell you the sovereignty of God is the most important attribute of God, and I'm not going to be dumb enough to argue with Calvin. And if R.C. Sproul was here, uh, he would tell you it's the holiness of God, and I taught with 10 years uh, in an institution with R.C. Sproul. I know you shouldn't argue with R.C. Sproul. <laughs> but let me tell you this. If God is just a sovereign God, but he's not a loving God, you better run and hide somewhere. And if God is a holy God, but not a loving God, you will never measure up. 
he will never make it. You see, I think even those two great doctrines, the sovereignty of God and the holiness of God, need the love of God. And I think that's what God is telling us. I mean, there are other religions that believe God is powerful, right? There are other gods who think God is perfect and holy. But our God says, I'm a sovereign God and I'm a holy God, but I'm a loving God. And I love my people. Jonathan Edwards in his magnus opus, which simply means his greatest works, uh, said the center of creation, the center of all Uh, creation is the love of God. In fact, he said before anything existed, that is before there was any, no creation, what existed? A loving God, a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit, and they loved one another, and that is what existed, and everything that exists now comes out of that loving relationship between The Trinity, in fact, he says there would be no creation without a triune God. A single God would not create anything. He would just be there by himself. It is a triune God who has what the Bible calls agape love. Do you know what agape love is? Agape love is love that's always going that way and never coming this way. Right? It is a love that is... um, dispensing love, not a consuming love. Now, what would be more normal than that kind of love for a triune God to push that love out? Because that's what that kind of love does. And so what Jonathan Edwards says is everything exists because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit pushed out their love so that there would be more to love. You know, I like the passage in in, uh, Colossians um, in, in Colossians um, chapter 1, it's talking about Christ here, uh, but it says in verses 16 and 17, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things And in him all things hold together. Tell you what that says to me. That says to me that the love of God is what holds everything together. The protons, the neutrons, the electrons, the quarks, the gluons, the gluons, excuse me, and the planks, and all kinds of other things too. I mean, you know, when you get down to subatomic particles and so on, they're a mystery. Uh, of how they even work. Uh, and and they, they, they don't work the way people think they ought to work. Um, I think they're held together by God's love. At least it's something to think about. When Paul is writing to the church at, at Ephesus, and uh, he, he's telling them really, you know, what God has done for them, how he's uh, chosen them before the foundation of the world, by the way, in love, He chose you before the foundation of the world. And so he's teaching them all of that stuff. And then right in the middle of all of that, he breaks into a prayer. It's like he can't help himself. And this is the prayer in chapter 3. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you 
to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what he prayed for the Ephesians. Do you pray for that for yourself? You see, I think a mark of Christian maturity is how deep is your understanding of God's love and to what depth do you experience the love of God. We see this in other places. We see this in good marriages, don't we? You know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see an interview. Somebody, they're, 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 they may even be in their 90s. And, and they've lived a long life and they're, they're still quite vigorous and so on. And somebody wants to know what their secret is. And, and, and so they'll, they'll say things like clean living, exercise. Everybody throws in good genes. But then usually or often they'll say with a deep smile, yeah, and a loving spouse. Even if one of, of the pair have passed away, they'll still say, a loving spouse. I mean, that has made such a difference in my life. It's one of the reasons that I've lived as long as I have. God wants us to experience his love. God wants us then in turn to love him. I asked an Old Testament professor one time in a place where I was teaching, I said, what is the thing that is most different about the religion of the Israelites that you see in the Old Testament? I mean, after all, uh, they had a temple, but that, that temple, you may not know this, looks an awful lot like a Canaanite temple. And, and we know certainly about their laws and the Ten Commandments and so on, uh, but the Pagan tribes around them had laws that look an awful lot like the laws in the Old Testament as well. He didn't miss a beat. He said the difference is that the God of the Israelites loved the Israelites. You see, that's what's different. Kierkegaard said when we read the Bible, we are not simply looking at a book. We are looking into a face. The Bible is a love letter. I like the way Bunyan put it because it's a little unusual. Bunyan said, look, if you doubt that God loves you, just look in a mirror and see what he had to put up with. <laughs> and he loved you enough to die for you in spite of that. That's what the scriptures say. As I've already told you in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7 and, uh, and verses uh, 7 and 8, Moses is talking to the people of Israel and telling them why God is their God. And he says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Listen to that. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Wow. But then he goes on. <laughs> it's not because you are more in number than any other people that God set his love on you and chose you, 
for you were the fewest of all the people. Now, let me tell you what that really means. You think you're special, but I want to tell you, you weren't. In fact, when God was looking around, he could have found people a lot more special than you. That's really what it means. But for you were the fewest of all the people. And then these words, but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Do you see? Why did God choose you? Because he loves you. Now you might say that's not a very good answer. God, tell me a reason. That's not a reason. Ah, but it is. It's the greatest reason of all. Let me, let me illustrate that. Uh, our first uh, child, uh, my son, is adopted. And that's quite a process. I won't go into all that uh, and, and uh, such. Uh, but uh, finally, it took us 18 months because we moved. It was only supposed to take 12, but they added an extra six because we moved during that process. Had to get a new caseworker and so on. But finally, our caseworker said, go and get a lawyer. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't commit a crime. Why do I need a lawyer? Um, we're adopting a child. He says, she said, no, but you got to go down and see the judge, and the judge is going to make the decision. We don't make the decision. The adoption agency doesn't make the decision. The judge does. Judge Lenfesty, he's the one that's going to make the decision. So we got a lawyer, and we went down to the judge's chamber, and we found out that our lawyer couldn't go in with us, but he wanted to prepare us. So he said, look, the, the judge is going to ask you a lot of questions. To those questions, just be honest. Tell them the truth. Now, that's a good idea. Don't lie. <laughs> but I guarantee you there's one question he will ask you. Why do you want to adopt this child? And when he asks you that question, there's only one answer. We love him. That's why I want to adopt him. That's why God adopted you. That's what Moses is saying in, in uh, Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. God chose you, not because you were special, not because you were great, not because you stood out, only because he loved you. Do you see how that's the greatest answer of all? And what an impact that ought to make in our lives? Now, there's a big difference between knowing about God's love and experiencing it. And I think that often we know a lot, but we don't experience a lot. I've already told you that Jonathan Edwards' magnus opus was written on the love of God. He has an illustration in that book that is right famous. Many people have used it, so I'm going to use it as well. He says, you know... When somebody tells you about honey and explains all about honey and even tells you that honey is 25% sweeter than table sugar, well, you know a lot about honey. But you don't really experience honey till you take some honey and it passes by your lips and lands on your tongue, right? You see the difference? The difference between knowing and experiencing. And he says in that book, too often... We know, but we don't experience. So how do we experience the love of God? Well, the first thing I think is we've got to look for it. We've got to look for it. You know, Sandy often thanks God when she gets the best parking spot next to Publix. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how often she does. 
Sometimes she sends me a picture, you know, on her phone just to show me that she got it. Now, I always get way out in the boondock somewhere, especially if it's raining, you know, or something like that. But when she gets that, she thanks God. Or we came back, you know, from Naples, and it was a rather rough uh, trip. Uh, In fact, we uh, could never see the... Uh, the um, uh, the uh, air, airplane, airplane stewards uh, because uh, it was too rough and the captain would not let them get up out of their seats. So when those kind of rides go, you know, you get a little tense and so on. And when we landed, I heard over here on my right, thank you, God. She sees God in, in small things and that's a, that's a good thing to do. Experience the matter of love comes by Faith. It's based on the fact that God died for you, as our, as our text actually says um, in, in, verse, in verse 32. Um, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all other things? So look for God's love in your life. Secondly, realize that it's unlimited. Never going to run out. And God will never hold it back. I take you back to that passage in Romans 5, verse 5. And the Spirit of God pours out His love into our hearts. And I told you two weeks ago that that word poured really is a lot more dynamic than, you know, pouring a glass of water or something like that. It's more like a tsunami. You know, it's more like you're going to be drowned uh, with God's love. Um, you know, when, when our son had a time in his life when he was in the wilderness uh, and he would get me pretty worked up sometimes and, and I would lose it and I'm not proud about that at all, but I would get it back together again and I would finally get calmed down and I would look him in the eye and I would say, Paul, you can tell I'm disappointed, but I want to tell you something. There's nothing you're ever going to do that will cause me to stop loving you. Because I got that from my Heavenly Father, whose love for me is unlimited. Not only is it unlimited, but it is forever. Sort of like what I've just said, but there's nothing you're ever going to do today or any day that will cause God to love you more. Why? Because He already loves you as much as He can. How do I know that? He gave you His Son. There's There's nothing else. He gave you His Son, the beloved eternal Son of God, He gave you. He can't give you anymore. There is nothing else. And there's nothing you're ever going to do today that will cause God to love you less. I told that to a theologian one time. Many of you would know him by name, so I'm not going to give you his name. But I told, told that to him, and he reacted pretty negatively. And he said, are you telling me if I did some kind of gross sin right now, that God would still love me just as much? That's crazy. And I told him the story about my son and how I would say to him, look, there's nothing you're going to do, period, that will ever cause me to stop loving you. And this theologian, and he is a great theologian, looked at me and said, oh yeah, but that's your son. (laughs) And I just stared at him. Because you're God's son, you're God's daughter. There's nothing 
Yeah, can you disappoint God? Can you grieve the Holy Spirit? Of course, the Bible says so. But can you God, cause God's love to be subtracted in your life? No, it's impossible. Quite a few years ago, I went to a place called Malibu, British Columbia. It takes a three-hour boat ride from Earl's Cove. And uh, it's just, it is the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. Uh, you would not believe it. The mountains start, of course, at the ocean because you come in on a boat, but they start right there and they go up to 8,000 feet. So that's from zero to 8,000. And there's all kinds of waterfalls because uh, of the glaciers that are up on the top of these mountains, but they also have these things called redwood trees. And you know, they're great big tall trees. And they have the mother of all rope courses in those trees. This is a young life camp and they have a rope course like you wouldn't believe. And the thing that I like to watch, because I'm not going up there, (laughs) was a little, there was a ladder that went up the side of this gigantic tree and when you got to the top there was a little platform there that you stepped out on and you grabbed a hold of this trapeze and what you were supposed to do is swing across over to this other tree and at just the right moment you were supposed to let go and land on the platform on the other tree. Now would you believe that about 75% of the people that climbed up that ladder climbed down that ladder? But the other 25%, they grabbed a hold and they swung over there and they got to just the point where they're supposed to let go. But they didn't let go. (laughs) They just swung there until, of course, they were lowered down by the rope. This is what I want you to think about. You will never be able to let go of self-love until you are convinced that God's love is there to catch you. You will never be able to let go of self-love until you are convinced that God's love is there to catch you. Let's pray. Father God, we would never have loved you if you hadn't first loved us. You tell us that again. We love because you first loved us. Bless us by your Spirit to grow in the knowledge and experience of your love, please. Magnify your love to us in your mercy and grace, not in proportion to our faith, but in proportion to you who are love itself. Let this reality cause us to love you more. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.